Hi, I'm Dan, and I want to welcome you to Church Online. If it's your first time, please take a minute and fill out a quick guest link on our website after the broadcast. We would love to connect with you, no matter where you're watching from. You can also give online by going to lifechurchutah.com or by texting LCGIVE to 95577 at any time during this morning's service. Once again, thank you for making Life Church Online a part of your weekend. For more information, visit us at lifechurchutah.com. I would like to uh, welcome you to our fall campaign today as we begin the third week in our six-week series where today we're talking about mercy and how God's mercy helps us to reach out and help hurting people. Okay, so just a moment ago, I talked with you about how our church is going to be taking the mortgage payment that we've been making and putting that towards helping and ministering to people who have tremendous needs all around us, what we're calling the Life Community Center. And what motivates us as a church and as, as leadership to feel so strongly about this is, uh, is James chapter 2, verses 14 through 20. And this is what James has to say. What good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith, but you don't show it by your actions? Can that kind of faith save anyone? Suppose you see a brother or a sister who has no food or clothing, and you say goodbye and have a good day, stay warm and eat well, but then you don't give that person any food or clothing. What good does that do? So you see, faith by itself isn't enough. Unless it produces good deeds, it is dead and useless. Now, someone may argue, some people have faith, others have good deeds. But I say, how can you show me your faith if you don't have good deeds? I will show you my faith by my good deeds. You say you have faith, for you believe that there is one God. Good for you. Even the demons believe this, and they tremble in terror. How foolish. Can't you see that faith without good deeds is useless? So what the Apostle James is talking about here is the connection of faith to good works coming out of our lives. Good works do not save us, but good works are the end result of the salvation that has already come into our lives. When you have been truly saved, you want to do the right thing. You want to give your life to the right purpose. You want to commit yourself to something that is big, which is the kingdom of God and his plan for your life. And so that commitment that you have within you produces a heart of mercy, which extends itself then into good works, into people's lives, helping them, touching them. I tell you, all the workers yesterday, thank you to all of our workers yesterday who ministered to thousands and thousands of people who came here. And I'll tell you, the reports we got from people who attended saying, we have never been around a church that does this kind of thing before. It's just incredible how God used you yesterday to to help us. And thank you to Pastor Heather and all of her workers, her leadership team that helped make that happened. But you see, why did that, why did, was the effort given to that? Why was the expense made? It's because what God has done inside of us causes us to want to reach out, to touch other people, and to minister to them. And that's what we are called to do as God's people. 
When we talk about developing ministries, like I shared just a few moments ago, uh, of mentoring in the schools, I didn't mention that, but that's part of the community center. The English second language training, computer lab training, getting kids out of gangs, and so much more. It's really what that's all about, is letting God's mercy flow through us as a church to help hurting people. Now, as I read through the scripture in James, there were several thoughts that came to my heart that I believe God wants us to focus on today about our mission to help the hurting. And the first one would simply be this. It's God's call on us to help the hurting. It's God's call on all of us to help the hurting. It's not just some people who are oriented that way. And listen, I want you to understand, this is not just us trying to look good to the community. That's not it. It's not us trying to do our little religious things so everybody will see how religious and wonderful we are. No, we are focused on what does God want us to do? What is God directing us to do? What is the will of God? And I want you to understand that the call of God is on your life to help hurting people. At James chapter, uh, the, 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 the chapter we read, the verse 17, look at that again. So you see, he says, faith by itself isn't enough. Unless it produces good deeds, it is dead and useless. I don't know about you, but that's a very convicting uh, verse right there. Faith by itself is not enough. Unless it produces something, whatever it is that we have isn't enough. It's dead. It's useless. So look at those two little ver uh, uh, words that I have uh, underlined there at the beginning of the verse. It says, by itself. Faith can never be by itself. And that's what James is saying. Some people go around saying, well, I'm a person of faith. And somebody else says, well, I'm a person of, of action, of deeds. And he says, that, that doesn't work. Those things have got to combine together. Faith can never be by itself. Faith, by its very nature, produces life, which produces action. How do I know that you're alive out there? It's because, well, some of you I do question whether you are or not, but most of you I can see you moving. There's action. I can at least see your chest going in and out from taking breaths. Some of you are getting a deep sleep right now, and that I, but I can see that, that go, going in and out, so I know that you are alive. That's what life does, doesn't it? It produces action. When we see someone who's not moving, we immediately are worried about them because life produces action. And the action that God wants us to take is an expression of his mercy through us to help hurting people and to glorify Christ through it. I also underline three words at the end of that verse. It says, dead and useless. So what I want you to see here is that James is saying that faith that doesn't produce mercy to help the hurting is dead faith. It's useless faith. In other words, you got to really question the end result of that kind of faith. In fact, James even calls into question the value of that kind of faith for salvation. He says in verse 14, he asks this question, can that kind of faith save anyone? Wow, that is, that's really a convicting verse. Now, it's not my job to judge anybody with regards to salvation. That, that's not my job. 
I can't see your heart. You can't see my heart. But it seems to me that God is saying here, if we don't allow the faith that we have to produce mercy in us that touches other people's lives, our faith is of very questionable value. So all around us today, all around this church, all around where you live, are, is incredible need, incredible hurt, incredible pain. We had a prayer request that was turned in this past week that just touched my heart so much. And it asked us to pray for the future of a little baby. Because the baby's father is a drug addict and the baby's mother's in prison. And so what, what happens to the future of this child? And that touched my heart so much. I, I just... I began to weep over the condition of this little child. What kind of a chance does this little child have in that kind of a setting? And here's what I want you to understand. That is all over the place in our culture. That's not just a a once in a while out here and over there somewhere. No, that's all over the place in the culture in which we live today. There are people that are in poverty. There are people... Who, who are from other countries and cultures that don't understand what, what American culture is like. For good grief, I don't understand American culture half the time either. But they don't understand what American culture is like, and they're desperate in their hearts. And I think God is calling us to do something about it. Government can't fix this stuff. We've gotten this idea that government's the answer. Government is not the answer, folks. I've lived long enough to remember when our then-president, Lyndon Johnson, declared war on poverty. Some of you remember that, 1964. I was a little kid, but I remember that taking place. Do you know that the American government has spent almost $15 trillion on the war on poverty, and yet the the, the poverty rate is, is virtually unchanged in all that time. $15 trillion has been spent, and yet it's had very little positive effect. Now, I don't doubt that there was good motives behind some of that, but what I'm saying, folks, is that God never intended that government be the resource for all of this. He intends his people to be the resource to touch people's lives on the local level. So if government can't fix it, it's going to take the message, not just the actions, but the message of the church to be God's help to people. It's, that's what's going to move them from despair to hope. That's going to, what's going to move them from death unto life. And that's the point of what James is saying in these verses. And that is why we're committing to start the Life Community Center next year. The fact is, we will never run out of needy people because Satan has a way of getting people to make wrong choices with their lives. And out of those wrong choices comes terrible consequences, not only to the person making the choice, but oftentimes to those nearest the person making the choice, even to the innocent. And so there's a constant need out there. And God is calling upon his church to touch that need. Now, the second point I want to bring to you is this. We have a special call to help the church, God's people. We have a call upon our lives, and, and, and 
and I want you to focus on this today. It's not just reaching the world. We are to touch one another. We are to reach one another in the body of Christ. Look at verses 15 and 16 where James says, Suppose you see who? A brother or sister who has no food, they have no clothing, and you say, Goodbye and have a good day. Stay warm and eat well. But then you don't give that person any food or clothing. What good does your your blessing, your verbal blessing do if they don't have anything to go home to, if they don't have a home to go to, if they have nothing to eat or very little to wear? So James says that part of our calling is to help the brother and the sister. This is talking about people in the church. Brothers and sisters is is code in the Bible for believers, all right? And it's specifically talking here to believers who have community relationship with other believers. Because a lot of people come around and say, hey, I'm a a Christian, I'm a believer, Uh, help me with this, help me with that, help me with the other thing. But they have no relationship with, you know, God is calling us to help people who are in relationship that we know are not scamming us but are legitimately in need, and we are to reach out to help that particular need. The Apostle John picks up this same message in 1 John chapter 3, verses 17 and 18. He says, If someone has enough money to live well and sees a brother or a sister in need but shows no compassion, how can God's love be in that person? Dear children, let's not merely say that we love each other, let let us show the truth by our actions. So I got to thinking, is this, is is God calling us to an institutional thing? That is to say, is God calling us to develop just, is this just a scripture that says the church is supposed to develop new programs and new ministries? Well, certainly that is part of it. But I don't think that's the whole thing. I think God is speaking to us personally I think that God is calling us to do what we can personally and individually to help people, to reach people. I I remember a few years ago learning about one of the men in our church when, uh, when he saw that one of our elderly families was not able to to put proper tires upon their car. They, he, they, they couldn't afford to put tires on their car. He went out and personally bought the tires, and had them installed on his car, on their car. And I think that's the kind of thing that God is calling us to do. Now, nobody in the church knows that he did that. We didn't get up and hail it and and announce it and, and proclaim it. I'm doing it right now, but good grief, this happened 10 years ago. So it's not like like we, hey, look what so-and-so did. No, this was something nobody talked to him. Nobody told him, hey, you need to help that, that, those individuals out, that elderly couple. He sought himself and let the mercy of God touch him to minister to a brother or a sister in need. So that is the kind of thing that God is calling us to do. But for us to be effective in helping other people will require that we get our eyes off of ourselves and start seeing the need around us. Now, the truth is, when you're going through a hard time yourself, a rough patch yourself, whether it's emotional or physical or financial, whatever it might be, 
It's easy to get distracted and become totally self-focused. We get focused only on ourselves until you don't see the need that's around you and life becomes all about you and your needs and your desires and your faith becomes all about God answering your needs, you know, meeting your needs and so forth. You know, a few weeks ago we had Arnie Jacobson here at our church uh, to, to share with you uh, a great witnessing tool that he simply calls by the word, you know what it is, aware. Aware. Bottom line, it's simply being aware of the multiple opportunities that God puts in our path every single day to touch somebody for Jesus Christ. And the reason we don't do much of it is because we aren't aware of those multiple opportunities. The truth is, every one of us have multiple opportunities every single day to touch a life for Jesus Christ. Our problem is we're not aware of it. And so he simply said, let's start asking God to help us be aware. And he talked about it in about five different areas of our lives. But you know, if we are self-focused, we will never see those opportunities. We will, we will never see the hurt around it around us, and then we'll wonder why we aren't personally more effective for Christ. Listen, Jesus wants to meet your needs, absolutely. But one of the truths that I have learned is that he often meets my needs when I'm reaching out and meeting God, the needs of other people. I am his hand extended to somebody else. That's what releases his power into my life. It's when I'm praying for someone to be healed that I have oftentimes received the healing touch myself. Not focusing on myself at all, but when I'm praying for somebody else. It's when I'm extending love to someone else that I, the, the love comes pouring back into my lap. That's the way it works. In fact, that's exactly what Jesus promised in Luke 6.38. He said, give and you will receive. Your gift will return to you in full, pressed down, shaken together, uh, to make room for more, running over and poured into your lap. The amount you give will determine the amount that you get back. And if you're interpreting that to mean only money, you're missing the point. Jesus is saying here that whatever, whatever you give is going to come back into your life in abundance, in, in great proportion. So if you give life to people, if you're a life-giving person, guess what's going to come pouring back into you? If, you're a, if you give joy to other people, guess what's going to come pouring back into you? If you give bitterness... Guess what's going to come pouring back into you? If you're very narcissistic, guess what's going to happen? Nobody's going to pay any attention to your needs either because you're so focused on yourself. You know, that's, that's what he's saying here. Yes, it affects money. Yes, it affects when I give to God. Does he pour back? Certainly he does. But it's bigger than just money. It's every part of your life. So I think God is asking us to be aware of one another in the church. Who can you bless that needs a blessing? Who can you encourage that needs to be encouraged? Who can you help that needs help? God, help us to be aware of the needs of one another. And one of the, the, the practical ways we make that known is we put out every, I think it's every Saturday, we put out a, a little uh, uh, 
internet kind of announcement thing, you know, that comes uh, by way of the internet, and it talks about this, one of the, the, the columns in there, Seeds and Needs, and, and, and in there it talks about some of the needs that come pouring into us that, that are expressed to us, and many of them are from people within our church. And when you read that, if you can say, Lord, help me to help that person, God will use you, and it'll be an extension of his love and his help. So it's God's mercy that leads us to help the hurting who are a part of this church fellowship. But here's what I want you to hear. If you are one of the hurting, if you are hurting right now, this message is for you too. Don't just sit back and say, well, I'm hurting. I'm going to wait for somebody to help me. No. You start looking for who you can bless. You start looking for who you can help. You say, well, I'm hurting. I shouldn't have to help somebody else. But again, it's when you help other people that God will start meeting your needs. And even in the midst of your own pain and the midst of your own need, God's blessing will start come, coming to you. It just might be the key to God's miracle in your life. Third thing I want to share with you about this is that God can use anybody. And that's very evident through all that what James is saying. God can use anybody here. You don't, you don't have to have certain qualifications. You know, the greatest thrill in my life has been to experience God using me in a special way to help somebody else. And I've had the privilege of that many, many times in my life. And I will tell you, when it's, when it's over, I'm oftentimes just flat out amazed that God could touch anybody through me. I'm amazed that he would touch anybody through me. But I'm also equally humbled and honored and excited to be a part of God's plan. It doesn't take degrees or qualifications for God to use you. He can use anyone who is willing to be used, but I know a lot of people think that God only uses the exceptional. He only uses the really gifted. He only uses the really smart. He only uses the educated, those with exceptional talent and so forth, but that's just not true. God can and he will use anyone. Now, when you look up, uh, at 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 the Bible, you see God using all kinds of people. I'm reminded that of, of, the, of something a pastor once I heard say in a sermon. Uh, before I was a pastor, I sat and listened to pastors. And uh, I actually remember some of what they said, you know. I remember this one because it touched my life. It said, God isn't looking for ability. He's looking for availability. I don't know who first came up with that, but I remember hearing that. He's not, he's not looking for your ability. He's looking for your availability. And so when you look at the people that God used in the Bible, what you see is this conglomerate of people that had all kinds of issues. In fact, probably most of them would not have been considered most likely to succeed. Now, some of them would have been. The Apostle Paul, extremely intelligent guy, you would have said, all right, here's a guy who's probably going to succeed in his life. And, and, but then when you go over to Peter, he's kind of the opposite. You know, Peter, you look at, he, he to me kind of reminds me of a barroom brawler kind of a guy, you know. So he, I, I wouldn't have picked Peter as somebody that God would have greatly used. But when you look at throughout the scriptures, you see people that God used who weren't in and of themselves probably considered most likely to succeed. 
Abraham was really, really old. You know, some of you have written yourself off because you think you're too old. He was 90 years old when God started using him, and nothing really kicked in for him until he reached about 100. I mean, he didn't start get going until he was about 100. You know, I've still got 60 years on that, you know, somewhere around there. So some of you, you think that you've wasted way too much time of your life, you know, and that it's over and it's too late for you, but, but you haven't wasted as many years as Abraham did and God still used him. Just want to encourage you. Jacob was a chronic liar and he ran away from just about every challenge he faced in his life, but God still used him. Leah, his first wife, how would you like to have this said about you? She wasn't much to look at. That's what the Bible says about she, The Bible calls her ugly, really. But the Bible's, you know, God still used her. Joseph was abused by his brothers. Gideon was poor. Samson was reckless, but God used all of them. Rahab was a prostitute. And yet Rahab shows up in God's Hall of Fame in Hebrews 11 as a great woman of faith. God used her spirit in spite of her past mistakes. Uh, Jonah was fearful. Elijah was suicidal. Naomi was an elderly widow. Jeremiah had chronic depression. Do you know that Jeremiah is called the weeping prophet? You ever hear that term before? It's because he cried all the time. You know, guy was depressed, man. His message was depressing, too. David had an affair, and then he, he had the... The woman's husband killed that he had the affair with. Now, you would think that would have disqualified him, but David wrote the book of Psalms and became Israel's greatest king. Mary, the mother of Jesus, was poverty-stricken. John the Baptist was eccentric. Peter was impulsive, and he had serious anger management issues. Martha worried a lot. If you're a worrywart, God wants to use you. Hallelujah. The Samaritan woman had several failed marriages. Zacchaeus had been an ethical scam artist. Thomas had doubts. Timothy was timid. Moses, David, and Paul were all guilty of murder, but they were all used of God because they were willing to be used of God and let him change their life. They all had the same spirit that Mary, the mother of Jesus, expressed in Luke 1.38 because when the angel came to her and said, listen, you're going to give birth to the Messiah, she said, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. God is looking for you and me to simply say, I am the Lord's servant. I'm ready to be used however you want to use me. Here I am. Here's my life. So that's what God is looking for from us, a willingness to be used. Listen to Romans 6, 13. Do not let any part of your bodies become tools of wickedness to be used for sinning. But, boy, that's, that's a, such an important word, but... Give yourself, instead of that, give yourself entirely, completely to God. Every part of you, for you are back from death and you want to be tools in the hands of God to be used for his good purposes. Wow. So the way I would put it is with whatever energy you used to sin, you used to serve yourself, you used to serve the devil, give that same energy to serve God and to be used of God for his purpose. 
Uh, Rick Warren, in his book on mercy, he talks about several secrets to being used of God. I just want to mention three of them to you this morning. Number one, never forget that it's all about God. It's all about God. I'm sorry, about God's mercy. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1, God in his mercy has given us this work to do so we do not become discouraged. It's God's mercy that motivates this. Remember how we defined God's mercy two weeks ago? Put it, you can put it down again. Undeserved forgiveness and unearned kindness. So when God uses you, it's not a statement about how worthy you are, how great you are. It's a statement about how merciful God is. The people that you see being used of God are not like superheroes of faith or spirituality. They are just people that are willing to be used. That's all it is. And it's God's great mercy that uses them. Paul admits this very thing in Galatians chapter 1, verse 13. He says, you know what I was like when I followed the Jewish religion. He's talking here about before he became a Christian, a Christ follower. He says, how I went after the Christians mercilessly, the opposite of God, hunting them down, doing my best to get rid of them all. He's talking about killing them. He killed them. But verse 15 says, Then something happened, for even before I was born, God had chosen me to be his, his and called me what kindness and what grace. I, it, it just, that just jumps out at me. Underline those words. Even before I was born. Look at God's mercy touched Paul before he was born. Before he was saved, knowing that he was going to persecute the church, knowing that he was going to kill believers and followers of Christ, but still God chose Paul and gave him a work to do, and his mercy reached into Paul's life. That is God's mercy. That's undeserved forgiveness. That's unearned kindness. So it's not about qualifying to be used, brothers and sisters. It comes because of God's mercy flowing through you, and that means none of us has an excuse for not being used. We can't say, hey, we're not good enough. We can't say, hey, we're too old. There's something we can do for God and his mercy through us because it's all about his mercy using us. Number two, remember it's not about you. When it comes to ministry, it's not about you. Far too many times we forget that fact. Boy, I've seen that through the years. We get possessive about our ministry, and we, and we think it is about us, or we think it belongs to us. You know, I, I almost never talk about Life Church as my church. It's the church I pastor. It's the church I serve. It's, the, it's not my church. It doesn't belong to me. It, the, this, your ministry doesn't belong to you. Listen to what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, 5. Our message is not about us. It's about Jesus Christ as the Lord. We are your servants for his sake. So Paul is making it clear here. We are serving you because of him. It's, he is the focus. It's his sake. We're serving God's people for Christ's sake. It's all about him. So we don't own anything. I pray all the time that Jesus will be glorified at Life Church. And I pray that because it's his church. It's not my church. I, I don't own this church. I didn't die for anybody. 
It's, he's the one who died. It's his church. And then we let God's mercy flow through us to others for his sake, for his glory. And that means we work hard and we give it our best and we excel in everything we do. We offer our best to him because it's our offering to him. It's our sacrifice to him. But it's all about him, not about us. Two verses down from that verse, Paul says it so well in verse 7. We are like clay jars in which this treasure is stored. The real power comes from God and not from us. And so you say, wow, look how God's using that person. They're just, they're just clay jars. They're just mud and blood. That's all. The real power is from Jesus Christ. We live our lives in such a way, and I've prayed this all of my life, God May my life be explained in no other way but you. May people look at me and say, I don't get it. It's got to be God. It's got to be God. There's nothing else that could explain this guy. It's got to be God. The third thing I would just leave with you today is this. Stay focused on eternity. It's all about eternity. In 2 Corinthians 4.17, Paul says these little troubles are getting us ready for an eternal glory that will make all our troubles seem like nothing. We're going somewhere, folks. We're, we're, we're stepping off this planet one of these days. It's so easy to think that it's all about the here and now. Sometimes we get so, we get so small in our thinking, <laughs> and I do it too. We get, oh God, I've got this financial need. How am I going to make my refrigerator payment? Now, your refrigerator payment's important. I'm not saying that's, that's not important. But folks, your life is not about refrigerator payments. Your, 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 your life is not about car payments or house payments. Those are secondary to your life. Your life is about eternity. And what you're going to be able to offer Jesus when you stand before him someday. These little troubles... They're getting us ready for something that's far greater that will, all, that will make all of the troubles that we're going through right now seem like nothing. And so I'm going to tell you this. When you stamp, step on the other shore one day and you see what has been prepared for you, you're going to think, what was I, what was I thinking down there? Why was I so caught up in all of that stuff? Look at what this is really all about. In the next verse, in verse 18, Paul says, things that are seen don't last, but things that are not seen, they last. They're the eternal things. And that's why we keep our minds on the things that cannot be seen. So the big picture of this message is God using us to help the hurting. But to now bring it down to this point, the point on eternity, I've just got to ask you, are you ready for eternity? Are you personally ready for eternity? You say, well, after I, after I die, I'll get ready. It doesn't work that way. The Bible teaches us that we get ready for eternity today. Now is the time. Today is the day. And we can't count on tomorrow. I talked about this a few weeks ago, how death is so unpredictable. 
I was talking with one of our men this morning before service, and he was telling me about a family that comes to our church very periodically. And he was only in his 30s and maybe early 40s, and she comes home from shopping or something, and he's dead in the floor. And you know, you think to yourself, well, we got all these years out here. I'll, make, I'll, get, I'll get it all ready later on. But I've told you this before. In my lifetime, I have officiated the funeral services for the very young, only hours old, and the very old, and everything in between. There's no guarantee of anything. You get ready for tomorrow, for eternity, today. This is Pastor Eric. Thanks so much for checking out our Life Church podcast. We pray that it's a blessing to you. For more information about Life Church, check us out at lifechurchutah.com.